Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mental Health Shelf podcast. My name is Jamie Skinner and in this podcast I invite guests from all different backgrounds to bring and discuss five different items or symbols which they believe have brought them joy, escape or have generally contributed to good mental health in their lives so far. These items then get put on a non-existent shelf called the Mental Health Shelf, something to look to when the world is getting a bit stressful, a bit much. And of course the items can be anything the guest wants. Lego, Death Star, Clarinet, Chocolate Fountain, Barbecue genuinely took me far too long to come up with that list but anyway enough of that this month i'm joined by film journalist helen o'hara who i've been lucky enough to speak to a handful of times in the last couple of years and each time she has been very lovely indeed and while there might be some film related items on her shelf i don't quite know yet uh, i'm looking forward to diving into the non-film related stuff particularly a quite key career change in her well, in her career, uh, so looking forward to diving into that. So enough of me waffling, let's just get into it, shall we? Here is the mental health shelf of Helen O'Hara. On this month's edition of the Mental Health Shelf podcast, we welcome a film journalist whose work has been featured in and on The Guardian, The Telegraph, IGN, Time Out, Radio 2, Radio 6 Music and Channel 4, the writer of books including Radio 4's Book of the Week and a Time Out Book of the Year, Women vs. Hollywood, an event host for BAFTA and for Empire Magazine, for which she's also editor-at-large, co-host of the Empire Film Podcast, plus a comic writer and qualified barrister. Many things there. Welcome, Helen O'Hara. Hello, how are you doing? I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I've just listed off just some of the things that you've done in your career so far. There's yep. quite a bit going on there. <laughs> it's It's been a busy few years. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I, I want to dive in by kind of starting at what may be two key points in your career? I don't know if you'd agree with them. Yeah. The, the first one, I kind of want to basically ask the same question because you spend however many years studying law. You went to Oxford University for it, I believe, and studied mm-hmm. uh, things in France as well. You mm-hmm. put so many years into this and then you take an internship at Empire Magazine. Was that a, a big decision? How big a step yeah. was that for you? Yeah, it was. It was terrifying. Um and uh, yeah, it was terrifying. That's basically what it was. It was um, something that I think I was lucky enough to be able to do because, you know, I was at a time in my life where I had less in the way of responsibility and less in the way of, of dependency on, you know, like I, had, I didn't have a house, I didn't have a mortgage, didn't have any of that. I, I had worked my way through university, but also I have fantastic parents who very very kindly and not without sacrifice helped me out during university they were able you know to help with my rent and stuff and I also am very old so I predate just I just predate student fees which is which is important to mention as well I don't want people to think like I'm not you know uh, that it's easy to do um but uh, but yeah so I was in a position where I I didn't I didn't have savings certainly but I didn't have the vast amounts of debt that I know a lot of young people do nowadays coming out of university and and so I was kind of a blank slate and I think that made it a little bit easier to contemplate but it was still it was still a, a big thing because I had I had as you say I'd, I'd done uh, you know not just you know law undergraduate degree and then bar school and then a pupillage to become a barrister so I'd done those kind of in total about six years, plus I had a gap year, which, by the way, I worked during. It wasn't like I was skiing in San Moritz or something. Um, but it, it was 
it was kind of like, am I turning my back on all of that? Am I being foolish? And I, I had thought to myself, if I get if I get taken on for a tenancy, which is what they call it when you start as a barrister, if you, if, if I became a tenant at the chambers where I was, I probably would have stayed there. I, I was telling myself I would have stayed there for a couple of years and saved up some money. But realistically, at that point, I probably would have got used to the money, I, I guess. It's hard to imagine being used to money now, um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think I probably uh, I was probably lucky. I was definitely lucky, in fact, that I didn't get taken on at the chambers where I was, which is, to be fair to me, pretty normal. But it was also a blessing because then I just leapt um, and and I was looking at things like uh, the bar then uh, sorry, like the government legal service and like um, law reporting which is a specific, not really journalism, it's a, it's a slightly specific skill set. Um, and I had I had job offers from them. And it was actually turning those down to take the internship at Empire in the first place and then to extend it for a second six months. That was the really scary bit because the government legal service at that point, starting salary was about £37,000 a year, which was a very good starting salary to me. I was earning at that point at Empire about £500 a month just to put that in perspective. And so that was actually a bigger leap almost than, than, you know, stepping in in the first place. Um, but, you know, I'm happier for it. I don't believe I would be enjoying my life as much if I were at the bar. Um, th there are lots of things about the law that, that I really enjoyed. Um, and I think my friends who are still in the law get a lot from it and, and enjoy certain aspects of it enormously. And I respect that. But for me, certainly at that time and even now, oh, I, I find it still defying. So, yeah, I'm better off. You spend about 10 years then at Empire, if not mm. um, uh, more than that. And then you make the decision to go freelance. You still do a lot for them, mm. as we mentioned. You must, again, was this a big decision? But also you must have been very confident in yourself to, to feel comfortable to go freelance. Oh, no, I was made redundant. It oh. was not my decision. I would have absolutely sat at Empire, like holding on to an office chair by the by the skin of my fingernails for another 50 years, if it were up to me. Um, and I actually, you know, in retrospect, has it been a good thing? Yes. But it was one of the worst kind of days of my life being told I was being made redundant. Um, and I, I mean, I remember just like I refused uh, a goodbye party. I was just like, I don't want to celebrate this. I have no, this is giving me no joy you know Marie Kondo has nothing to do with this it sparks no joy um I, I just don't want to I, I don't want to acknowledge this I, I, I just want to slink off home and god bless him one of my best friends from school insisted on taking me out for dinner that night he's like you're not just walking out of the office and going home and sitting on the sofa I'm I'm taking you out to dinner and he basically spent the entire dinner telling me I was great telling me they were fools telling me I was better off none of which I believed but I really appreciated that he did that. I think it's it's so important to have people who can do that for you. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I literally got was getting my first bits of freelance work within a week. And and I still assumed I would would have to go back to a full time job. I, I, you know, I applied for one at one point a couple of months later. You know, I was, I was kind of reading the, the job papers every day and things like that, uh, looking for other journalism jobs. Um, but by the time you know that kind of came around, I was I was sort of beginning to make a living, you know, and I was sort of thinking, oh, maybe maybe freelancing could be enough. Maybe that could sustain me. Um, so so yeah, luckily so far, touch wood, it has. Um, 
and uh, and I've been loving it because it has been it has been great to just experience working for different places, doing different things, being challenged in new ways. I mean, the books initially they came to me. It wasn't me pitching books to anybody else. So that was really you know something that that I'll be honest fell into my lap. But it has been a huge other challenge to kind of try something different, writing so much longer form stuff, doing so much more research. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a blessing, but it was very heavily disguised when it first arrived as blessings go you mentioned there you kind of from long form to short form all the interviews and stuff and presenting that you've done but you cover a lot within your writing as well you've written stuff you know about books and theater and just you know general culture as well is it important to you to have this variety it is i i think it's i think it's something that I think all the best journalists are curious. And I think if you're curious about things, you're probably going to do better in the profession than if you are not. So the idea of kind of blocking myself off completely from stuff doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, I am not an expert in a lot of things, you know, but I can get up to a kind of conversational knowledge about a lot within a bit of with a bit of work. And I can talk to people who know more and hopefully get them to explain what I don't understand to me. And, and that's a really enjoyable process for me. I love doing that. I interviewed a volcanologist recently, which was fascinating. I don't know anything about volcanology, but he was able to teach me some stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I, I absolutely love that. But I think, I think it is healthy and I think it is uh, important for me anyway, to, to just be curious and to, to learn about stuff and be open to stuff that kind of comes in the world because you know, there, there can be things that you don't even know you like or you don't even know will be important to you that can kind of turn up that way. You say from uh, when you were made redundant from Empire that it it was news that wasn't great, obviously. Mm-hmm. Is it something of a comfort that you've still been able to work for them since, that you you are editor-at-large yeah. there as well and you're still doing the yeah. podcast? Yeah. Oh, it was a huge comfort. I knew... When I left, I would I would just going to keep doing the podcast. And and to be fair, at, at that point uh, in Empire History, I hope I'm not lifting the curtain too much here, but the podcast wasn't something I was paid for. But I figured, look, as a as a new kind of freelance reporter, it's probably good for my uh, for my like status or for my uh, visibility if I'm if I'm still doing the Empire podcast. So I'll so I'll still go and do it. And of course, that was a great relief to Chris and James, who had enough trouble finding people every week to uh, to take time out of their day and do it. So. So I kept doing it um, partly because of that, but also partly it gave me that tie to Empire because I didn't really initially get into journalism for a pure love of journalism. I got into into journalism to work at Empire, you know, and to write about movies. So it, it was enormously, enormously important that I still had that tie there. Yeah, for sure. I want to take you from journalism just to the, the general scape of the internet, uh, which mm. every now and then, of course, for a number of people, isn't the best of places. And you've yeah. experienced that before. And I think obviously the kind of touchstone for this kind of thing is whenever you talk about anything comic book related, Zack Snyder, when you talk about those, you've got some pretty nasty comments in the past. But from what I've seen on some occasions, you haven't gone straight to the block button. You've tried to interact with these people. Can you just talk a bit about that? Yeah, that, that's, I mean, look, th- th- one of the reasons I went to study law is because I quite enjoy arguing. Um, and really, one of the reasons I left law is because they wouldn't let me argue enough. You know, it's all very <laughs> formalized, um, very, very particular format that you have to do everything in. And, you know, a lot of time spent around reading papers instead of arguing with people. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, I actually appreciate a good argument. And the problem with a lot of arguments online is that they're not good arguments. They're not good faith arguments. 
so I, I really genuinely cherish some interactions I've had, including with Zack Snyder fans. And by the way, I like Zack Snyder a lot. He's a very nice man. I talked to him a few weeks ago for Empire. I, I really get along well with him and I like many of his films. Um, but yeah, I have had interactions where people have realized that I'm not coming from a malicious place and realized that while we may differ in some respects, we actually are both you know respectful of the man and his films and we have had very good conversations as a result that has happened it can happen even with if people start off in a very angry very negative very very aggressive state um it has also happened that there have been people who i thought were acting in full-on bad faith and who just keep changing the goalposts you know as you're arguing with them they, they keep moving the goalposts and they keep saying that they're saying a different thing than they were 10 seconds ago um which is very easy to prove in a twitter argument apart from anything else i mean guys come on i also find like i once got into an argument with a bunch of men's rights activists and that was really fascinating because you know over like a weekend uh, you know certainly dozens if not scores of them were coming at me and, and arguing with, with me and they only had three points and all of them kept coming back to these three things so all it all started to be about what would you do you know why if you're if you believe in equality does that mean you want to be conscripted for war because men are conscripted for war so men have fewer rights than women and i'm like i don't think anyone should be conscripted for war so that's my position on that but like this was genuinely one of their big issues you know and and all of them it, apparently independently kept coming at me with this all of them kept talking to me about the white feathers during World War One. by the way, an organization set up by a man, um, you know, and I was like, I was genuinely fascinated by it. I was like, why is this all you have? Is this is this all there is to your entire argument, you know? Um, and yeah, it's something similar with with some of the really hardcore, you know, Snyder people. I wrote an arg article for The Telegraph where I really went out of my way to present their point of view, to talk about the very good work that they have done for raising money for mental health charities in memory of Zack Snyder's uh, sadly departed daughter, for example. Um, they have done enormous good that way. They've raised an enormous amount of money. And I talked about that and I talked about their hopes for the film. And I talked about the way that they felt, you know, really hard done by the, the film that, that ultimately came out, the the original sort of Joss Whedon cut of, of, of Justice League. There was only one area where I disagreed with them, with the sort of orthodoxy, if you like, of the of the Snyder Cut church. And the only thing I disagreed with them on was that they had got it in their head that the film was 90% finished, including VFX. Because Zack Snyder had said his edit was 90% finished. And I said, well, with respect, I think that he means his edit. I don't think he means the effects because I've talked to people in VFX and they've all said the effects were nowhere near that. Um, and so I said, you know, this film, I thought, would take tens of millions of dollars to finish to a normal finished standard or they'd have to release it with like storyboards and, you know, grayscale images and, and sort of uncomplete VFX. And I got two weeks of abuse for saying that. I got people telling me I was I was bad and evil and wrong for saying that, that I had misunderstood that I was fundamentally wrong. And a few of those people I did talk around and I did sort of explain my reasoning in greater depth and they did come to understand where I was coming from. The majority, however, were not listening. Um, and, and I mean, for the record, I was right, because when that film came out, it, it did cost about $75 million to complete. But, you know, but it, but it was 
two weeks and I knew when I wrote the piece I knew they were going to come at me for something and this was what this was what they picked up on to a degree you know you kind of have to be okay with that if you're going to write publicly online if I am going to build my entire career about having an opinion about things I have to allow other people to have an opinion about things I understand that if people disagree with my reviews, absolutely fine, unless they start telling me I've been paid by Marvel, which is libel, because quite frankly, I wish I'd been paid by Marvel. I would be much richer because I like a lot of Marvel films. Um, but, but you know, if people just want to disagree with me, 100%, absolutely respect it. It's just the sort of the personal abuse can be a lot. What actually depresses me about the internet nowadays is not personal abuse. It's because I think I have weeded out quite a lot of people and blocked ultimately quite a lot of people um i think it's more the fact that um it's just a relentless barrage of bad news and if you are in a bad place in your head it can be very very hard to be on twitter or even to be sometimes on instagram which is generally a cheerier social network because it is just relentless reports of you know of wars that are horrific and awful and I feel for everyone involved in, but they are thousands of miles away and they do not currently have to destroy my day. And, and I don't mean to sound callous when I say that, but you know, there is a moment where you, it is sometimes necessary to step aside and say, okay, I'm not going to read any more about that today. That's enough. I'm just going to breathe and be with people I love and, and not, not think about that anymore. You know? So, so those things can, I find more wearing There's tales of cruelty, tales of, as I see it, stupidity, tales of, of tales like climate change, where we all know what we need to do. And for some reason, it's not happening. And and that I find quite difficult to deal with some days. So, you know, you have to know when to switch off, I think. Is that easy for you to kind of know when to do that, just to try and oh, find no. a distraction? <laughs> no, not even slightly. Um, but I'm just trying to do it more because I, I feel like it is... Um, I feel like also, you know, because Elon Musk has destroyed Twitter in a lot of ways or tried to destroy Twitter, a lot of the lighter, sillier stuff that used to happen on Twitter isn't happening to the same degree. So you don't have the kind of the leavening that used to make the heavier stuff bearable. Uh, so that that's, I think, one of the big reasons why it feels worse maybe than it used to. I think generally speaking, my, my approach to Twitter has always been you need to curate your feed so you're not just getting a relentless barrage of bad news so you're not just getting people attacking you so you're not just following people who endlessly get them themselves involved in controversies you know I, I, there are some journalists who i really respect as writers but i don't want to follow on twitter because all they do is poke the bear all the time it's like you do you but i'm i'm gonna be over here ignoring it but i think again that that has slightly become harder just because elon musk has has changed the game on Twitter in terms of what people get rewarded for doing and saying, and namely that the trolls get rewarded a bit more now than maybe is optimal. Just before we move on to the items on your mental health shelf, very quickly, mm. is there a point, do you, do you have a particular point when you know, okay, I just need to get off the internet for the rest of the day, or at least just Twitter, I need to step aside, do something else. Is there a, is there a particular point or feeling when you just know this? I think it's when I start to feel hopeless or um or burdened by burdened by the cynicism of the world if that makes sense uh, there's a point where you some, sometimes start to think oh boy is, is anything ever going to change is anything ever going to get better you know uh, that's the danger point to me because i absolutely believe in when i'm clear in the head that things 
you know, do tend to get better, that there are an enormous numbers of good people out there trying to do their best and trying to change things for the better. There was a recent climate report which actually had some hopeful news for once, for example. And while there are two horrendous wars going on right now um, to the east of us, there are also fewer wars going on around the world right now than at many points in human history on on you know in many ways we as a species aren't doing so badly and we don't have to focus all the time on on the worst stuff so it's when i start to feel hopeless i'm like okay enough i'm gonna i'm gonna read a book i'm gonna engage in a movie i'm gonna do literally anything else <laughs> let's move on and talk about some of those items that uh, may bring you hope and joy and escape uh, the items that are of course on your mental health shelf where do you want to start? Well, I'm going to start with a movie. Um, obviously, I have, you can see, Jamie, but um, <laughs> listeners obviously can. I have shelves and shelves of DVDs and Blu-rays behind me. Uh, and and obviously all the streaming services and stuff lined up on my TV as well. But to me, it is enormously important to be able to get out of my own head and into somebody else's story for an hour or two hours or more at a time. I feel like it's a you know, it's just a chance to focus on something else. Now, for me, it, it happens to be, you know, a lot of fantasy and superheroes and sci-fi and kind of wild, crazy adventures that tend to do that best. Uh, I've, so specific, if you want a specific DVD, I'm going to give you The Lord of the Rings, probably Fellowship. Um, but But really, it's just having that ability to, at any point get out of my own head and get into something else. And and to me, that is really how it feels. It really does feel like immersing myself into someone else's um, story, experiences, whatever, for a while, into a different world, maybe. Um, and, it, and it just gives me a chance to kind of regroup and settle myself down. I mean, there have been times when I have, I remember once actually when I was still a barrister and I came home and I'd been really tense all week and there'd been a lot going on. I was just very, very, just just tense really very stressed out and I came home and I put on um dead poet society because I just needed a film that I knew would make me cry at the end that's all I needed it's like whatever it is just has to make me cry at the end and that was just this enormous release of all this tension all this stress but I was actually crying because a bunch of people were standing on desks saying oh captain my captain but it helped in the real world as well you know it helped me kind of release that emotion in a way that maybe I, I couldn't couldn't do at that moment without the movie so um so yeah so i just find i just find movies super important for that i think i think they save lives i've said this on the podcast a couple of times but i genuinely believe that films save lives you mentioned fantasy in particular you cited mm. lord of the rings and, and this has come up once or twice on the podcast before when people have said about books that they really like and fantasy and sci-fi that kind of stuff tends to come up quite a bit because and particularly in the case of lord of the rings it is literally going to another world. That is yeah. almost maximum escapism to an extent. It is. Um, and I mean, I'll be honest. So one of my other items is a book. And I was, I'm was i going to talk about Terry Pratchett for much the same reason. Um, but it is another world. And it is, it is an important thing. And people talk about escapism like it's a bad thing. And it's not a bad thing. It is, again, it's a, it's a pressure valve. It's an escape hatch. It is a lifeboat. Um, just to be out of your reality, be in someone else's reality, whether it's for hours or days at a time. I mean, if you watch all the extended editions back to back, that'll take you a full day, you know. Um, but but it, it is really important. And, and getting involved in like the soap opera of all the Marvel movies and all the Marvel TV shows, that, you know, keeping track of that instead of keeping track of everything else that's kind of weighing down on you in the real world. Um, obviously not to the extent of ignoring things that 
we all have to deal with. But if you can sort of spend an evening talking about, you know, whether Captain America should have shaved his beard at the at the beginning of Endgame instead of, you know, always worrying about your own concerns, I think that can be quite healthy. I, th- I think it is a really genuinely healthy thing to get out of your own story into somebody else's um, and also find other people who escape in the same way. I think a lot of people have found, you know, people talk about finding your tribe. But finding people who have the same shared interests as you, that's the flip side of all the trolls and everything on social media, is the many, many millions of people who have found support and comfort and friendship and love and everything else, acceptance, you know, online for maybe the first time. And they've they've been able to build those into real world connections or not. Maybe they've just remained online. That doesn't make them any less valid. But that is a really important part of kind of modern life. And I think it's something worth cultivating. Do you think, and this is particularly with you all those years ago, going to Dead Poets because you needed to cry. It's a way of escaping into someone else's story so that you can externalize and understand your own emotions at some point. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's quite literally catharsis. It's literally letting a feeling out that you have that may relate to some totally other cause in my case, I think it was probably workload at that point. Um, so it had nothing to do with, I was, you know, sad that my English teacher got fired. Thankfully he didn't. Well done, Mr. Ramsey, still going strong. Um, but it, it was just, it was a way of releasing that tension in a, a sort of safe, controlled environment, if you like, you know. Um, you know, it, not everyone has the access to to therapy, frankly, or the means to get therapy or whatever else, or or just a therapist there at a moment's notice. And if you don't, kind of finding catharsis for overwhelming emotion can be quite a healthy way to deal with it, I think. I mean, again, I'm not an expert, don't trust me, but, but that's how I deal with strong emotions that seem negative to me that I can't process healthily in other ways. Um, and that's what helps me kind of get through those moments, get through difficult times. When you're looking, for, so say again, you've had a bad day, you're just needing that escape. Yeah. And of course, you've mentioned a couple already. When people say that that's the case and they turn to a film, normally they'll say, oh, well, I'll put on something feel good. Is there something in particular you decide to turn to or is it just anything? Is it something that you just know can let out those emotions? Um, it, it, so it can be those kind of cathartic moments. So it can be, I need something that will make me cry tonight. More often, and that, that's quite rare, actually. More often, it is just, it can be the feel-good stuff. So my sister was living with me still during lockdown. Um, and uh, we watched a lot of Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Community. And those kind of half-hour comedies with with the possible exception of Community, which is a bit more cynical. But those are half-hour comedies. You could put them on whenever just for a quick hit of good people trying to do their best. You know, that that's kind of what all of those Mike Sure sitcoms really offer. So so those were enormously helpful. The other thing I find myself going back to is sort of comfort food, if you like, kind of movie-wise. I go back to a lot of 90s thrillers. There is there is rarely a day that The Hunt for Red October won't make better. Um, I also feel that way about Captain America, The First Avenger. That is my go-to comfort Marvel movie. Um, I, I just think it's, again, it's a good person trying to do his best. And I, I find those stories really inspiring. I don't need all my heroes to be anti-heroes. So, um, so those tend to be, yeah, 90s thrillers, bit of Marvel, a lot of Mike Schur. Those tend to be kind of my go-to. And then some of, just all, obviously my favorite films of all time. So that's things like Cyrano de Bergerac, The Apartment, Some Like It Hot. 
um, His Girl Friday. Those are always speed. Um, a lot of Keanu Reeves stuff. Point Break. I can always I can always watch Point Break. Those are all kind of comfort movies for me. But but weirdly, my sort of quote unquote favorite films, I tend to ration those a little bit more. I like I almost watch them a little more rarely than some of the kind of again mid budget nineties thrillers. Just mm-hmm. oh, I can't beat it with a big stick. Let's move from uh, this form of media to the other. You mentioned books. You mentioned Terry Pratchett. Do you want to talk a bit about yeah. a bit more about that? Okay, so it's it is my genuine belief that the the answers to life, the universe, and, and everything can be found in a Terry Pratchett book. I, I genuinely believe if you read those books, there is a guide to life in them. There is an attitude that will help you through life. Um, I think that's particularly true of any of the books featuring Granny Weatherwax or Commander Vimes of the City Watch. I think they are just models of, I guess, moral rectitude, I suppose, but but also examples of the fact that it's very difficult to do the right thing and it's very difficult to be a good person in the world, in an imperfect world, and that knowing what the right thing to do is doesn't help necessarily. And also that you should never trust people who tell you they know what the right thing to do is because you will pretty much never hear either Vimes or Weatherwax say that. Uh, about any situation that they're in. But but I just feel like there's a wisdom that Terry Pratchett has. Now, a very, a very, very famous example of this, it's kind of been all over the internet in the last year or so, is the Vimes boots theory, which is the economic model of unfairness um, that Commander Vimes um, uh, suggests in one of the books. And it's, it basically talks about the fact that it is cheaper to be rich than it is to be poor, uh, which is, I believe, true. So um, so that's a, just a really good example of a throwaway gag, which is also profound and true and of relevance in our real world. And I think there's an enormous amount of that in Terry Pratchett books. Um, I, I genuinely I genuinely think he's as good as Dickens, if not better, because Dickens wanged on at length and Terry Pratchett knows when to get in and get out and stop the story. So so I think he, I, I, I would 100% put him on the curriculum. I, I Like, I cannot say enough good things. I think he is the answer to a lot of life's problems. I think if you're having a bad day, read a Terry Pratchett book and there will be something in it that will make you laugh for a start. Um, but also there there will be wisdom that will stop you in your tracks and stay with you for decades afterwards. Um, and I basically like I go home all of for complicated reasons. Well, not really that complicated. Basically, Terry Pratchett books used to come out every year just before my brother's birthday. So I tended to buy him the new Terry Pratchett book for his birthday, knowing that I could read it before I gave it to him without cracking the spine and then uh, sneakily hand it on. The problem being that technically all of our Terry Pratchett books at home technically belong to my brother. So I can't like now lift them all and bring them here. So basically I go home for Christmas and I just pick a random book off the shelf and start reading. That's like that's the Christmas holidays to me. I'm I, I don't even bother with my Kindle anymore. I or I don't even bother like with new books I get for Christmas. I'm just like no. I'm just I'm just taking another random Pratchett off the shelf and starting again. Um, so yeah, I I genuinely cannot recommend them strongly enough. I want to quickly also point up, uh, um, go back to the point about comfort. And this this may be me having misheard something, but when you were talking about right. how Terry Pratchett provides all the answers to life, the universe, and everything, it seems that from something that you said, some of it is you don't need the answers, or not no one knows the answers. It, is there a comfort in that as well? 
There is. Um, I think it was more like don't trust the people who tell you they have the answers. Mm. I think that's or use some use your own judgment. You know, don't don't be afraid to trust yourself. I think people who tell you they have all the answers, that's that's a that's a red flag to me, if I'm honest. Um, but but yeah, I th- I think I think a lot of it is about the tough decisions and the sort of gray spaces and the moments where there is no right answer, really. Um, there's particular couple of scenes involving uh, Granny Weatherwax that particularly speaks to that, where she basically in her position as like a midwife, let's say, has to choose between the, the life of a mother and the life of a baby, you know, that kind of classic horrifying and all too real dilemma. And and that is dealt with really beautifully and really powerfully uh, in those books at those moments. And and that it's that kind of thing that he sort of he will kind of go there. He will he will address that kind of issue and he will have her face those those moments and those kind of decisions. Um and and that's a really powerful thing. And and same the same with Commander Vines in a different way. So he he sort of Vimes finds himself in, in positions where it would be very, very easy to kill the bad guy, for example. And, and But he's a lawman. So does he kill the bad guy or does he not? You know, is there a right answer? You know, if the bad guy is never really going to be controllable, if you can never really be sure he'll be locked up. I don't know. So uh, there, there's also a great line in one of the books, which I just love, even as a fan of 80s action movies. There's a particular character who who his girlfriend has been attacked by this bad guy. And he's he's uh, and he leaves the chase for the bad guy to do something more important. And someone expresses surprise at this. And he says, personal isn't the same as important. And it's kind of, it's like it's that's true. Right. But you have all these 80s action movies and they're all going this time. It's personal. Like that's the trump card. That's the thing that matters more than anything else. And actually it shouldn't be certainly for our lawmen certainly for our politicians certainly for these people who we put in these elevated positions that that should not be the case important should be important not personal so there's there's moments like that that really genuinely have stopped me in my tracks and sort of made me think oh wow i've never heard someone say it that way i've never heard people address that before and that's to me really important as well if you had to pick one thing to kind of symbolise this, whether it was a particular book or a figure or maybe a map of Discworld or something, <laughs> what would you pick? Um, I might pick... It would probably be a witch's book because much as I love Vimes, I love Granny Weatherwax more. Oh, boy. Witches Abroad, maybe? Witches Abroad, which is one of the funniest ones, but also has granny saying some really important things so gun to my head let's say witches abroad <laughs> and with that shall we move on to item number three uh yeah okay so i'm gonna say running shoes um mine are asics gt 2000s if you like but um but basically uh i have become and it it is a shock to me every single day but i have become uh, a runner and an exercise weirdo I get up voluntarily. I've I've had a cold the last week, so I haven't been. But generally, I go to the gym probably three times a week and do a sort of 45-minute workout class. And I try to go for a run another three times a week. I'm not a total hero about it. If it's very frosty or very, very rainy, I will stay home. But I try to get out three times a week, and I figure that way I'll probably go out too, at least. Um so yeah, running has become a thing that I do. I have done a bunch of marathons and half marathons. And I I think it is, again, 
really healthy and really healing and really uh, a way to release tension. I feel fundamentally better on the days when I run than the days when I don't. Um, I am much, much calmer and much less stressed on the days that I run, um, even if the same kind of stuff is happening. So I, I it, it genuinely, I feel I can measure the difference in my mood. I feel like I can genuinely see a difference between the days when I've exercised and the days when I've not. Um, and talking to a lot of the people, because when I say I run marathons and half marathons, I want to be clear, I'm super slow. So I'm kind of running and sometimes run walking at a very conversational pace. I can maintain a conversation with the person next to me. And so we we spend hours talking, just going back and forwards on these sort of five mile courses or five kilometer courses. And it's pretty much everybody's in the same boat. Everyone who does a lot of distance running, everybody got into it because it helps with mood and with um, life and just with management of stress and management of whatever is ailing you. Um, and there are people out on the course who are literally running with sticks because they have a bunch of ailments or they have bad knees or bad ankles or whatever else. Um, one woman has balance issues, so she, she uses the sticks. Um, there are people who you'll see just, you know, limping out the course because they just want to finish the race. I'm not sure we're all terribly healthy, quote unquote, healthy in the best sense, but we all get something from it. And there is a sense of community there once you start going to a lot of these events. But there's also just a sense of you're out in the fresh air, you're moving your body. And I think we forget, certainly those of us who spend all our days watching movies and sitting at desks, we forget that that is really, really, really important. And I know you've heard that a million times from a million people and been like me and gone, oh my God, shut up. The unfortunate thing is it's true though. So, hey, what are you going to do? So yeah, running shoes, wouldn't be without them. Running's kind of come up once or twice on the podcast before, but one thing that I've wanted to ask in particular, and this kind of comes up with something that you said you're getting away from your desk, you're getting away from your work. Mm. Even if, you know, you're just going out in the house for half an hour to go for a jog or something. Does yeah. it mean that your mind is also focusing on that? So that's, you know, also a mental distraction in a way. I mean, yes, ideally. It isn't always. There are mm. days when I go out and I'm still fuming about whatever nonsense is happening or, you know, and I've just fumed my way around the entire sort of 5K lap or whatever I've been doing. And... I have had lots of fantasy conversations where I'm telling people off for whatever nonsense they've they've pulled, you know, uh, which that probably is a bit cathartic. And I am kind of getting off, you know, burning off some some steam, I guess, when I do that. But um, but I can't say that I'm always, you know, having that moment of transcendent kind of runner's high where I'm forgetting everything that ails me and just focusing on, oh, look, aren't the birds in the tree lovely? Um, that happens. It absolutely happens. But I'm not saying it happens all the time. Or even every time, you know, at some point in the in the in the run. But even if it doesn't, I still feel better for having done it. That's that's kind of my big takeaway. Um, but yeah, you you do get those moments. I I did the first time I did the London Marathon. I've done it twice, and it's a great marathon because the crowds are incredible and they just they they boost you along like you wouldn't believe. But there was a moment about seven miles in, so you come to the Cuddy Sark in Greenwich. You run around the Cuddy Sark, which is beautiful and scenic. It's the first part on the course where there's a really big crowd on both sides of the course. There's music blasting. Halo by Beyonce came over my headphones at that point. And I was literally like, yes, London, I see your halo. Look at this. Look at all these wonderful people, both on the course and off it, just supporting. There's so much love. There's so much encouragement. There's so much just uplifting 
joyful energy just 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 in the air um it's magic and and look not every race is like that even the big you know city races aren't all like that but that moment was off the charts you know so it can happen but it doesn't have to for running to be good for you that's all i'm saying you said earlier you kind of run at a more conversational pace occasionally talking to some of the people around you does that help to bring just this communal feel to something like a marathon it does yeah so a lot of the marathons i do are not the big city ones they are kind of lapped events um that happen much more often um around around the edge of london generally so there's a company called phoenix running that organizes these races um near hampton court palace usually um and and so i see the same people at those over and over again they also have great medals like i'm talking fantastic amazing medals so that's a big big plus if you if you're going to run run long distance make sure someone's giving you a medal for it that's my it's my philosophy but um but yeah so you see the same people you you make friends um and then you go to your next race and even if you haven't organized it maybe you see the same people again and you fall into step again and you you know you run around the course together um so yeah i have absolutely made new contacts that way um people who unlike my more sensible normal real life friends you know do not necessarily judge me for signing up to another marathon or whatever um cuz they're doing the same and much more than that i know people who have done ultra marathons i know people who have done 20 marathons in 10 days so you know that it is there is a community out there that you wouldn't necessarily know about if you haven't been exposed to it what's it like when you get some of those medals i guess particularly including the more quirky ones which you occasionally share online because i'm sure you've got a shed load of them now but even after all this time you get a new medal is that just the point of going yes i did it uh, yeah, sometimes it, like some mean more than others. I'm gonna be honest with you. So the I did, I did do ten half marathons in ten days. I'm not one of the, you know, 12, 20 marathons in ten days people, but I did ten half half marathons in ten days, and that meant a lot. And those those medals really added up to something. Um, my, both my London marathon medals mean a lot. Um, I did a race around Nepal, um, where we ran. It was about 160 kilometers over like eight days but with at altitude and with a lot of up and down that was incredibly hard but so fulfilling incredible incredible country amazing people and that marathon which is basically carved out of a small piece of slate is is one of my absolute favorites i think it's i think it's really important so um so those mean a lot i mean i do get a little blasé about some of them Sometimes I just sign up for a race because I want to do a race and then that medal is like, okay, whatever, sure. Just chuck it on the heap. But um, but yeah, it, it, I, I do get pleasure out of just seeing them and, and having some kind of record of my progress and record of the fact that I've set out to do some things and then have done them, you know. Shall we move on to item number four? Yes. Okay, so this is also a um, piece of advice you get from everybody, but I'm rarely without my water bottle. If we're talking mental health, maybe it's more physical health, but then the two are linked. So mm. who am I to argue? But seriously, just carrying a water bottle with you, sipping through the day, game changer. Game changer. Good for your health, good for your skin, good for your digestion, good for keeping you full, good for making you feel good. I don't know what to tell you. It's really boring. It's really predictable, but water bottle. How long did it actually take you to get a water bottle? Ah, I mean, I've definitely had one for the last probably 10 years, I okay. guess. I think it was probably at some point after starting Empire, sitting at a desk all day, I started trying to 
you know, I probably read one of those magazine articles that said, oh, you should drink two litres of water a day. And so I was like, fine. So I started drinking water every day, you know. Um, and then once, unfortunately, you get used to drinking two litres of water every day, then you find you have to carry a water bottle with you because suddenly you get thirsty if you don't. So um, so it probably it's at least 10 years, if not more, probably more. I've gone through quite a lot. Um, at the moment, I'm, I'm settled into the um, the the slightly thermal ones so they actually the water keeps cool if i fill it with cold water it keeps cool fantastic um and it, but it is battered like you wouldn't believe i don't know if you can see on the camera i'm going to show you jamie but there's so many dents in that cap that has been dropped so many times there's all these scratches over the the design on the bottle but you know it's still hanging in there is it one of a number of other kind of bits and pieces that you've just i guess just picked up small little things to pick up just to live that bit more of a healthier lifestyle yes like i'm still working on my food like i very very much have a sweet tooth i rarely go a day without any kind of chocolate um, yep. i did just have a salad for lunch before we <laughs> talked so full marks to me there but i had a chocolate chip cookie for breakfast because i was on my way to a screening and i didn't make time for a proper breakfast so you know we're going to give me like half points on food at most um but yes the water thing i feel like okay i've got that covered the exercise thing i still feel like there's room for improvement i don't always push myself even when i go to the gym and like i say sometimes i go out for a run and it's a very slow run it's basically a walk but i'm still out in the fresh air so i'm kind of still working on some stuff but yeah i, I feel like if you can add these little things in incrementally they all do help like they all add up um more than you'd think and some of them like genuinely the water bottle is not a hardship it really isn't only thing it's hard is the makers of small cute handbags and the makers of cute water bottles seem to be in some kind of blood feud i cannot get them to agree on a handbag that is small but also fits a water bottle i'm working on that but otherwise yeah it's it's an easy win you know to be fair your website does say i'm available for paid work or cake Okay, yes. <laughs> Always available to work for cake. <laughs> <laughs> um, these these things, you know, you, you say about they gradually stack up over time. Mm. Are you just generally happy, though, as you are? Are they just bits that you're adding just, just for that bit of a boost, or is there something more behind them? Um, no, they are. I, I, I feel like I'm pretty... I feel like I'm pretty happy. Look, I'm very, very lucky in life. I don't want to sort of make it sound like I have figured out the answers and, you know, anyone who, who isn't happy is doing something wrong. I have been enormously privileged. I come from a, a loving, warm family that has, you know, valued my education, that's been able to help me out, as I said, at university, all this kind of stuff. And since incessantly, I have great parents, great brothers and sisters, great extended family. Uh, I am so fortunate in my friends, in my education, in all the opportunities that I've been given. I It would be ridiculous if someone like me were not basically fine, you know? Um, so all I'm trying to do really is kind of do as well as I can for myself, do, you know, and, and make the most of what I've been given because I've been given enormous amounts and it would it would be ridiculous of me not to try and, you know, be a decent human being with those and and I don't feel like I do everything I should I mean I have a friend who is just she is just a dynamo she is always raising money for a charity or volunteering for something or you know 
organizing this or organizing that for other people. And I am in awe. I don't I don't always manage that kind of goodness. Um, I also have the, the example. I mean, my parents, my mum was a, a, an exceptionally good teacher. And my father worked for the NSPCC looking after abused children for 27 years or whatever. So like the example of goodness um, in my life is is extreme. Um, so I don't feel like I'm anywhere near. All I do is like record some podcasts and watch some movies, you know. Um, so like I, like I'll give a bit of money to charity every month, but like I, I don't feel like I'm exactly a model of behavior or anything like that. All I'm trying to do is just live decently, not lose my temper with everybody around me and sort of keep myself on an even keel and sort of, yeah, do do the do right by myself and those people around me, I guess. Does a lot of that help to contribute to just general control? I, I don't know how I'm defining control mm. here. I'm just yeah. saying control. <laughs> no, I think that's I think that's absolutely fair. I think I, um, I have occasionally been called a control freak, which I don't think is entirely fair. But also I feel like, you know, these are not... Like I'm not, you know, like him in um, Sleeping with the Enemy, you know, lining up the towels perfectly in the bathroom and freaking out if the tins in the cupboard aren't facing the right way. Like I'm not a control freak in, in any of those senses. But I'm a control freak in the sense that I want to, I want to make things easy for myself in the sense of, you know, I know that getting up and doing some exercise will make my day better. So why would I not do that? And look, some days there are very good reasons. I'm tired. I don't want to. It's it's raining. Fine. But generally speaking, it's going to make the rest of the day better. So just get up and do it, you know. Um, and I'm not saying that like it's easy for everybody. I know there are a lot of people who who incredibly struggle. And if you're if you're you know suffering with depression or whatever else, I know that that just get up and do it is not helpful advice. I'm not I'm not trying to put that on you. But I'm saying for me that's what works it's just if i get up and do it now it will make the rest of the day easier it's i'm all about kind of optimizing for easiness you know if i if i make a big pot of vegetables tonight then i will have vegetables all week so that will be good right and then i won't have to think about what i eat tonight i've just got some vegetables in the fridge or in the freezer so it's all that kind of stuff really does that also help to kind of motivate just to even get you up in the morning, you know, even if mm. you're going out exercising, going to a screen? Because I've seen you at an early morning screening and the magical thing is Helen seems awake. <laughs> I am also a morning person. So <laughs> I'm talking about morning exercise as a morning person. I realize other people would rather die and would rather exercise in the evening. No judgment. We're all on our different schedules. Um but yeah, I, I I I actually was probably quite annoyed at those morning screenings because those eight thirty screenings that we do for the London Film Festival make it impossible to really get up and go for a run or go to the gym first. So I've actually been missing my run, missing the gym to get to those early enough. Um, but yeah, as long as I have my coffee at that point, I'm okay. <laughs> and finally, shall we move on to the last item on your shelf? Well, I mean, honestly, maybe I should have said coffee maker at this point, but um, but I was I was just trying to think of something that represented home because I also find my home quite important to my health. So one of the big things after buying my house, after I bought the basic essentials and we're talking big TV, sofa, <laughs> um, you know, what I need for work, of course. Um, but after I bought those, one of the big things for me was buying a mixer. So I really like baking. I don't do it enough anymore because not working in an office if i make an entire batch of biscuits i'm going to eat them all myself which is obviously a problem given the whole trying to eat healthier thing that i mentioned so yeah so i don't do as much as i'd like but to me that's very much part of 
having a home is being able to make stuff at a moment's notice. You know, I have mostly fantasies, but occasionally I do make them reality of making cakes for friends, making, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes there's a group of us that go out every Christmas and watch something at the Prince Charles Cinema, watch one of the Christmas movies at the Prince Charles Cinema together. And I will often make some biscuits and bring them along or make some fudge and bring them along. So to me, having a mixer is kind of like a sign that I'm ready to kind of cater to other people. Um, it, it comes 100% from my mum. This is not a deep philosophical, you know, uh, hidden uh, Freudian motivation. This is very much something that I, I saw modelled for me growing up by my mum, who would, at a moment's notice, whip up buns and cakes and tray bakes for school fairs or just because it was a day. Um, and uh, and yeah, I have very warm memories of home as a result of, of a lot of that. So so yeah, I, just, just something to, to represent home, but it easily could have been uh, you can see on the sofa behind me, I have a pile of blankets and I will absolutely snuggle up under a bunch of blankets of an evening. Um, I have a, a, a Le Creuset pot, you know, one of those very expensive cast iron cooking oh. dishes. Yeah, hmm. bought it. Huge expense, even in the sale. And I'm just, I love that. I've had that for now 14 years, probably still going strong. It just makes me happy every time I use it. You know, all these little kind of homey things I take a lot of joy in. I also have an enormous collection of Christmas decorations that no longer fit on a single tree, but I keep accumulating more in a year, every year anyway, because again, that to me is just being able to decorate for Christmas is a homey sort of a thing. Um, and like I say, I've been privileged enough to live where I live for a long time now. Um, I, I am beginning to strain sometimes at the boundaries of my flat and fitting everything in, but I'm still just about managing. Um, but it, it's it's nice to have a sense of home really a sense of place does it help all when it and everything comes together you know your blankets your mixer all that kind of stuff that you're, oh god yeah you're living oh, you're, li you're living in a place that is very much you that's comfortable that's recognizable that y you walk into instantly and you just know okay this is a safe place yeah it, it's 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 so important and it's been it's not something i've I've never had an unsafe place, but I have been in situations where I have maybe lived with flatmates I didn't get along with. And that moment before you turn the key in the door of like, oh, God, is is she going to be home tonight? Because oh, I just don't want to have that conversation again, you know. Um, so I've been very lucky. So since I bought this place, um, I have had flatmates, but they've all been friends or my sister was here for a long time or now my fiance is living here. But we're like, you know, it's all people I love. It's all people I care about. It's all people I know on a basic level. We can stand each other. Um, so since having this place, that's been enormously helpful because, yeah, my last my last shared accommodation before I well, I was saving up to hopefully buy was literally four girls, um, four rooms. And two of us were there for four or five years and the other two rooms rotated on average, every, I don't know, six to eight months. So there was always an element of, oh, will they still want to be here next month? Oh, is it going to be somebody new? Am I going to like them? Um, so it's, that's, yeah, that is unsettling. And and equally, you know, I know friends who have had to move house every couple of years because of rents and leases in London because it's horrific now. And it is really difficult. It's really unsettling. It's that feeling of, should I get used to this place or am I going to be here tomorrow, you know? Um, so I've been, again, enormously fortunate in that respect, enormously so. When you are using the mixer, when you are baking, is there anything mm -hmm. in particular that you kind of go for? That, that, that is there a speciality that Helen O'Hara makes? <laughs> Speciality de la maison? Um, 
Well, no, there's there's it's usually experimenting with something new I've read about. Um, I'm more a sponge cake than a fruit cake person. Um, I but I will make any kind of cake that seems seems interesting to me. There's a really good nigella one that is like a meringue cake. So you basically make a sponge mix with just egg yolks. You put that in the bottom of the tin. Then you just wash the mixing bowl, make a meringue with the egg whites, put that on top of the uncooked sponge mix, put the the whole bunch in the oven, cook it up. It is superb. But I recommend replacing her lemon curd with some passion fruit curd. That's all I'm saying. But otherwise, just don't change the thing. It's perfect. Does this also come under the kind of organization stuff that we talked about earlier are you someone who if you have a recipe if it says half an hour it's going to take you half an hour instead of okay well that's going to take at least two hours to even prepare everything um no i am a bit more chaotic than that um (laughs) i i tend to be um it's okay so the thing is like with baking you kind of have to follow the recipe right with cooking I think a lot of the time the recipe is a guideline and you can kind of like zhuzh your way around it. Like there is there is a recipe, I could I could send you this after the show. It's a really good recipe for uh, a smoky roast harissa cauliflower and aubergine with uh, lentils, right? And it's a great recipe. Doesn't take very long to make the way I make it, which bears only a passing resemblance to what was written on the page when I got it. <laughs> um, but with baking, you kind of do have to follow the steps pretty much, you know? So you you... You have to be a little bit more organized there, but equally, you know, when when somebody's telling you to sieve the flour, sh- salt and baking powder into a totally separate bowl and then tip it into the other mixing bowl that you're already using, I'm like, you know what? I could just not do that and I could just chuck it all into the mixing bowl I'm already using, you know? So I'm not saying I'm a maverick, but I'm saying I will, I will try and figure out the steps that don't need to be there and I will maybe skip some of those. Is there still a kind of air of focus or at least a kind of calming focus then in those moments when you're making something? Oh, yeah. I think any creativity is actually quite, I mean, any, and I mean creativity in the sense of doing anything. If you're knitting or crocheting or even just doing a jigsaw or putting some Lego together and following somebody else's instructions, anything like that, there is a focus involved and there is a sort of, again, just a sense of, of taking around of your own head, even if you're focusing on step one step two step three on the page in a lego book that's still a distraction from whatever is going on upstairs you know so um anything like that i think can be good i actually read somewhere online saying that the last thing you want to do when you're stressed out is relax the thing that you should do is focus on something else and i think that's very true that's so so it really helps me to have like a jigsaw or a you know, a project that I need to do. I keep trying to get into sewing and failing miserably, but I'd really like to be able to. I know how to crochet one stitch. I would really like to get a friend in and teach me a second stitch, you know, and then I could maybe make some stuff. Um, so, so yeah, there, there's, I think doing stuff is always a better reaction than you think it is. Is it easy for you then just to point something out and say, okay, that can not occupy me but that's something to do in this moment oh no i mean i'm terrible at always following my own advice i mean there will absolutely be days where you know i'm a bit down i just put on the tv and watch something and not even something that's particularly absorbing instead i'll be sort of what you know scrolling twitter with the other hand and occasionally looking up at the screen and then i wonder why i feel bad at the at the end of the day i am not saying that i have all of this figured out i absolutely don't 
even though I know what I should be eating. You know, it's like that. I know what I should be. We all know what we should be eating. There's a lot of vegetables and the occasional bit of chicken or fish. We know this. But then there are cookies, you know, so you don't always make the optimal decision. So that's that's one of the reasons I, I kind of try and make it as easy as possible to make the right decision a lot of the time, like carrying a water bottle. Very easy way to make the right decision a little bit more often, you know, having nice running gear that I like wearing. Very easy way to make me wear it more often. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely don't want to sound like I have this figured out. I, I, 100% don't have it figured out, but I just, some things I'm getting better at doing, that's all. Well, you've noted a couple of them there. Uh, to wrap things up, do you want to read back your items one more time? Okay. So yes, first of all, uh, I've said a DVD, although actually a Blu-ray, of Lord of the Rings, and I went for The Fellowship of the Ring just to be really specific. Um, for a book, Terry Pratchett's Weird Sisters. No, I went for Witches Abroad, apologies. See, it's a very difficult one to choose. I don't think I should be forced to. <laughs> Running shoes, specifically Asics GT 2000s. Those are for over pruneators, though, so don't get those necessarily if you have a neutral gait. Do go to your local running shop if need to be. A good running shop will not put you in the most expensive pair of shoes, so don't be afraid that they will. Anyway, um, a water bottle. Mine is, I didn't tell you, but mine is from Swell in combination with Liberty, so it has a pretty print on it. And I said a mixer, and mine is a Kenwood, and I don't remember the model number, but it's just a mixer. What goes through your mind when you read all that back? I I feel I feel pretty good about that. I, I th those are some things that I genuinely love, if I'm honest. Um, it's obviously wildly reductive. You're you're you're. I am appalled by your format. <laughs> but, um, if we if we assume if we assume that Lord of the Rings stands for all movies. And that Witches Abroad stands for all books, then that becomes a little bit more comprehensive. And also with the running shoes, I would absolutely have to have a running bra and good leggings and everything in there as well. But we're just going to take that as read. Well, even though it's reductive, I thank you for your time, <laughs> Helen. I thank you for putting a shelf together. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure as always. Thank you so much. And there we have it. The mental health shelf of Helen O'Hara. I, I guess I owe her cake now, if her website's anything to go by. I'll send a package of it'll be fine. Anyway, if you want to find more from Helen, I'll link some of her socials in the podcast description, wherever that may be, wherever you're listening. And of course, you can find her each week on the Empire Film Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. And I believe, at the time of recording, uh, they've just released tickets for a live edition of their 600 episode uh, on the 20th of January, 2024. So those are available now. Of course, a huge thank you to Helen for joining me. Always wonderful to talk to her. I could, you know, go into why it's so appreciated in this particular case, but I'll save that for now. I won't go into it. Uh, what I will say, however, on a quite unrelated note, uh, is Spotify, at uh, a time of recording, recently released uh, their Spotify Raptor that they send out each year. They also send one out to people who do podcasts and artists um, to kind of say, this is how much people have listened to you throughout the year. And for a podcast that only started in February, this was in the top five for 25 people, apparently. A handful of people, it was their number one podcast, which was kind of mad to think about. But if this is your first episode you've listened to, if you've listened to all of them or a handful of them, thank you so, so much. It's been very, very much appreciated. The same going for if you've followed or subscribed, whatever we're calling it, on whatever platform you're using. Uh, you've spread the word, given a very nice rating. Regardless, 
if you've listened to even just one episode thank you so so much i hope you've been enjoying the podcast i, I hope you continue to enjoy it if you listen to future episodes it has genuinely meant a huge deal thank you so so much uh, i'll wrap it up now before it just gets awkward and weird thank you for listening i'll be back next month hopefully with another guest another set of items and another mental health shelf goodbye for now